Thank you, Brother Brian. No pressure. Build up only took like 20 minutes only. Um, all right, praise the Lord. Like what Brother Bong just said, uh, I'm robbing you of the opportunity of hearing Brother Charles. Brother Charles was supposed to be preaching today, uh, but I believe Brother Charles um, has been very busy wrecking our new service place, you know, and he's got a lot of roles and responsibility, and I'm more than happy to cover him today. And today, even I was preparing for the word, Brother Bong kept messaging me during the week. He was like, hey, bro, I got you covered. Don't worry. You know, I told him, hey, bro, my feet pain, eh? I play football. I don't know whether I can preach this Sunday. And Brother Bong said, don't worry. I got you covered, bro. So then he kept asking me, bro, you need help, bro. you need help or not? You know, you can, you can give me the message five minutes before service, I can help you preach or so. You know, so Brother Bong, thank you for that. I appreciate the offer, even though I know it was not sincere or genuine at all. All right. Um, and first of all, I want to open up this uh, service today, right? I just want to be grateful. I want to show some gratitude to the people behind the scenes of this service. Why don't we just give them a round of applause for the people who are behind the camera, the people who are behind the sound, people who are doing the graphics. Because right before, I mean, for us, we are sitting at our seats, some of us watching from home, you know, we're enjoying ourselves watching the service, but I saw the people moving about, making sure everything is in place in order for us to be able to work, appreciate the service, to receive effectively, and I'm so grateful. And, um, and of course, I also am very grateful. Um, one of the ladies from the uh, MQ department, I was sending her my notes uh, late last night, you know. And then today morning also, I was like, hey, uh, I think we can use these slides also, you know. And I was really, I, I know she was very nice about it. She was like, hey, no, no worries, Brother Peter. Thank you very much, Brother Peter. You're very good, Brother Peter, you know. But I know deep down you're thinking, this guy, I tell you, wasting my sleep, keeping me up doing all these things, you know. Um, Pastor, right before 2 a.m., Pastor messaged me, hey, bro, I got more ideas for the, the word. I was like, wow, the message is already quite long. If I told you today the message is going to be short, I'll be lying, all right? But I'm going to go with what God is directing me today, right? There is a flow, and I believe that today, even as I preach the word of God, I believe we're going to bring to close this really very powerful uh, few weeks that we've been talking about mental health. We've been talking about We've been talking about stress. Uh, we've been talking about strength for stressful times. You know, and today's message, the title is called Healing Choices. Godly choices will produce healing. Now, I'll be very honest with you. When I got the message and I went through the message, I was like, wow, this is really deep, strong stuff. I don't know whether I should be the one preaching this. I'll be honest with you. Because some of the message, some of the content here is just so in your face, you know, but I, today I pray and I hope that you welcome me because the word says we speak truth in love and today I'm come to you in love as I speak this truth. So I'm going to open up in this scripture, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make men in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, the image of God, he created him. Male, female, he created them. One thing we need to understand is we humans were designed to have dominions. Dominion. We are wired this way. Some of us, maybe a bit more dominant than others, okay? But there's nothing wrong with that, 
Alright? However, there is one aspect of us that we always struggle over in our lives. What is that one thing that we always struggle having dominion over? Apostle Paul, quite possibly the greatest Christian, alright, next to Jesus. In Romans chapter 7, verse 15 to 18, he says, I love this, I, this is a new, I'm reading the New Living Translation, one of my favourite translations. Paul is writing this, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I do, if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. How many of you, when you hear the scripture today, you can relate to that? I know I can. When I was preparing the message, I was like, man... Paul, you get me, bro. You really, really, really get me. Because there are, th- there are days that you know what is the right thing to do. You know what's got to be done. But we struggle with that sometimes. You know, sometimes it could be because we are lazy. Sometimes it could be because of circumstances. Sometimes it could be just because we don't want to do it. It's the truth. You know, sometimes as Christians, as believers, we, we are so afraid to admit, I just don't want to do it. You know, we hide behind the, oh, I'm busy. You know, I got all these resp- I got all these things. I got this responsibility. But deep down, the truth is you just don't want to do it. That's true. You know, and sometimes we're just afraid to share that. You know, but Paul was just honest. I want to do it. I just don't. And I do things that I hate. See, several commentators try to explain this verse away and say, Paul is talking about his pre-Christian days before he became a believer, before he was saved, before he was born again, before he had Christ and the Holy Spirit in his life. This is the way that he acted pre-Christ. All right? But let me tell you something, that's not at all the truth. Because the fact that Paul was writing this in the middle of Romans, all these verbs that you see are in the present indicative, which says, I'm doing it now. I'm doing it now. I'm struggling right now has Paul, Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, you know, and, and, and he was struggling with it. You see, what we all struggle with is the kingdom of self. The one thing that we struggle with having dominion over is the kingdom of self. You see, there are five points that we oftentimes struggle internally. First, self-focus. You know, what do I mean by self-focus? Before making a decision, do you think, What's in this for me? Or do you freely sacrifice for the good of another without expecting a return? If you do, praise God. But at the end of the day, humans are selfish. We're self-centered at the core. You know? And before making a decision, it's very normal for us to think, what's in this for me? Number two, self-righteousness. Are you more concerned with and on the lookout for the sin, weakness and the moral failure of others than your own? Are you busy, you know, trying to look around like, Alama, that guy, uh, wow, never come to church, huh? Oh, that sister, I never see her at all uh, for care group. Wow, I wonder what that person, wow, that, do you see the person's social media? Wow, do you see what they're doing outside or who they're hanging out with? We are busy looking out for the fault of others, you know, instead of being satisfied with the God-honoring life that we are responsible for. You know, do you regularly feel discontent? Because 
You struggle with self-satisfaction. You know, are you always looking for something new to satisfy you? You know, you're never happy. I, I need to keep changing. I need to keep changing cars or, or phones or, techno or the items that you buy or jobs or whatever. You're constantly changing, changing. You're never satisfied. Before, self-reliance. Do you avoid living in intrusive and intentional relationships where others admit their need for grace and seek the help of a biblical community? Because, let's be honest, especially people who may be a bit more introverted, not necessarily all the time, but some people who are like, nah, I, I just don't, I, I like my private life. You know, it's just me and Jesus. I'm happy with that. You know, that's fine. It's okay for you to have your personal, your private life, your own personal life, your prayer life. But guess what? Jesus never meant, God did not mean for you to be alone. He meant for you to be part of a community. He meant for you to be part of a group of believers. Because you see, you can't do it on your own. You can't reach heaven on your own. Because you've got to have the help of others. And number five, self-rule. Which law gets the most attention and the quickest response in your life and relationships? The Word of God or your own desires? You see, if we were to put aside what Paul said for a moment and just take a little inventory of our own. Bear with me, alright? I'm going to go through some of these words. You know, if you want to close your eyes, you can, but don't sleep, huh? okay? You know, I want you to just think, when I, say, when I say these words, does it trigger something in you? Is there a red flag that pops out when I say these words? Number one, stress. Are you a person who's constantly worrying, being anxious about things beyond your control? Or fears. You're always living in fear of something happening. Hey, what if, hey, hey, what, hey, what if this happened? Uh, I'm very scared. Eh. Hey, I don't know how. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm not, I don't know what I'm going to do next week. How about my job? What if I lose my this? Constantly living in fear. Every time God answers the prayer, guess what? You move on to the next fear. Do you overwork? The constant need to keep working. You know why? Because you struggle to keep still. And we, and, and we live in a society, and, and especially in a nation, where we are constantly moving. If you see Singapore, I, I realise when I go on vacation, right, I, I go to different, like, like, background, like different countries or different cities or whatever it is, right? There are some countries that are just very laid back, they're very chill, you know? But with Singapore, I, I feel like, well, we're always moving. We're constantly moving. There's constantly hustle and bustle. I need to get my job done. I need to do this. I need to get this much money. I need to buy this house. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do this. You're constantly working. There is no rest or rather you struggle to stop and rest and find balance in your life. Could it be, this is not my notes, but could it be that we are struggling to stand, stay still because we just want to find out what God has to tell us? Because you see, we keep ourselves busy, then we don't have to pay attention to what he's saying, see, because we're just doing, doing, doing. And as long as I accomplish things, that's fine. Attractions that I shouldn't have to another person or something else. Do you find yourself opening up your heart or your spirit to someone or something that you shouldn't? Addictions. Are you struggling to overcome a bondage? Regrets. Living in regrets or past actions, relationships lifestyle. Do you still live in regrets? Even though God has saved you, even though you've been born again, 
by the precious blood of his, of, of his name. You know, and, 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 and you've been saved, you've been living in church, but guess what? You are still struggling about, about your past lifestyle and your past regrets. And you keep rehashing it over and over again. Even though God has given you the grace to move on, do you still struggle with that? You're like, oh man, I, think, I don't think I'm good enough. I used to, I last time like that one. You struggle with that. Diet, having difficulty in saying no, lack of control over our intakes, guilty as charged. Bad habits, do we struggle with bad habits? Struggling to stop negative actions and thought patterns. Anger, do we struggle with anger? Do we react harshly towards others through our words and our actions instead of responding? Dishonesty, not living life truthfully in every aspect, be so in our work, in our relationships, in whatever we do, do we struggle with that in dishonesty? Oh, the need to control. Do people call you a control freak? Don't have to raise up your hand. But if you feel, people always say, hey, why are you so controlling one? Or, or, or someone close to you can tell you, hey, you control freak. That's not a good sign. Do you try to control others and their decision making? It's one thing for you to be in control of everything that you do in your life. But do you also try to force other people? Do you also try to take control over other people? There's a quote that says, Henry Ward says this, um, Henry Ward Beecher says this um, quote, the true secret of giving advice is after you have honestly given it to be perfectly indifferent whether it is taken or not, never persist in trying to set people right. You cannot force people because God never forced us. You see, you can advise people you can tell people, you can show people the way. Right? I think there's a saying, I went back to this, uh, but you can only lead the horse to the river, I think. You cannot force the horse to drink the water or something along that line. You know? It's the same thing. You can't control people, you can't force people. Sometimes it's a care, maybe it's for somebody here, I, I don't know, someone who's watching online or a care group leader, sometimes you just be like, ah, yeah, I just wish they would just listen to me. I tell them not to do that. Why they keep doing that? Maybe it's a parent here who's thinking that. Ah, I, I, I told them not to do that. Why are they doing this still? Sometimes the truth be told, you just can't force or control people. Finances. Do we struggle with our finances? Do we have issues paying your bills or budgeting? Do you struggle in your relationships? You know, past painful memories that keep popping up. Perfectionism. Do you struggle with perfectionism? Let me tell you something. Uh, there's a difference between perfectionism and spirit of excellence. There's a difference there. Must everything be perfect? Because let me tell you the truth. Not everything can be perfect. Because we live in an imperfect world. If you want perfect environment, perfect situations, it's not going to happen. The only thing that's perfect is we serve a perfect God. Resentment. Are you harboring any past resentments towards others? or even God today. And finally, compulsive thoughts. Are you struggling to keep your thoughts in check? See, I've gone through this entire list, and I hope if you're being honest, there's at least one or two things in this list that popped up in your mind, that triggered, and you're like, you know what? That sounds like a bit like me. And if you don't think, <laughs> if you go through this entire list, and then you tell yourself, no, nothing sounds like me. Guess what? Take that list, go to the people close to you and check with them. They will tell you. 
check with your husband and wife, check with your family members, they'll tell you. So what is the cause of all these problems? Every problem in your life has the same root cause. Number one, it is us playing God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, um, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor, oh dear, shall touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, what is the cause of the problem? It's us playing God. When I act like I'm God and I'm going to make my choices instead of doing what God tells me to do, then I'm going to have these problems in my life. You see, the oldest temptation is to play God. That is the oldest temptation in the history of time. It is to play God. You see, it goes all the way back to the garden as I read the scriptures. When Adam and Eve were tempted to eat, you know, I'm give, God, just, God said, I'm giving you all this. All this, everything you can freely partake of. But except for that one tree, please, don't. Don't partake of that fruit. He gave a choice. Then Satan comes and says, if you eat this, you'll be like God. In fact, you'll be a God. If there's something that you need to understand, it is that Satan never tempts you to be like himself. He's too smart for that. He's too smart for that. He will never come and tempt you to be like him. Especially believers. You know, because we are like, oh, you, you know what the devil is all about, so you, you don't want to be like the devil, right? But he never says, if you eat this, you'll be like me. Nobody wants to be like the devil. Well, at least nowadays, it's very hard to say, oh, nowadays people worship the devil, unfortunately. But for us, nobody wants to be like the devil. He says, eat this and you'll be your own God. There's a whole philosophy built around it today. You know what it's called? It's called the New Age Movement, which says, you are God. You're divine. God is you. You are God. Governments, you know, I want to help us understand today that we don't live in, like when we are in the kingdom of God, right? We are, we are not aristocrats or, or oligarchs or whatever. We live in a monarchy. There is a sovereign God. And everything is dependent on Him. That is kingdom of God. Anything other than that is kingdom of self. You see, you need to get into your mind today. You are not God. See, the new age is the oldest lie ever told. You need to understand and realize that you are not God. Because if you are God, you could solve all your problems. And who here can tell me today that you can solve all your problems? Then guess what? I need your help. After service, we'll queue up, we'll find you. Then you can, uh, you can help us solve all our problems. You see, that, that is why God allows certain situations to come in our life that is beyond our control. Because there is always a need for us to understand that we need a saviour. That we need divine assistance. You know, when, it could be a health issue, it could be a financial issue, it could be a family issue. God is constantly wanting you to understand, guess what? 
Come to me. I'm here to help you. Come to me. I'm here to help you. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 2. It says, In your great pride, you claim, I am God. I sit on a divine throne in the heart of the sea. But you are only a man and not a God. Though you boast that you are God, when do you think you're as wise as God? See, the greatest lie, the greatest temptation, the oldest temptation that comes from the devil is caused by this word called pride. Think about the times when God tells you to do something and you don't end up doing it. Uh, I know God says don't do that. But you know what? I'm just going to do it anyways. What's the worst that could happen? Right? I know what will make me happy more than God does. He doesn't understand my feelings. I mean, I know what's best for me, what? I know, you know, I know that God says tithe. But guess what? I need the money though. I need to buy myself this, this new thing that I need. You know, so I think God, tithing can wait. Lah. Giving to God can wait. Lah. You know, different areas, different aspects of our life, we are constantly doing exact opposite of what God is requiring of us. Every time God tells you to do something, you don't do it. Guess what? You are playing God. You're actually saying and acting, you know more than God does. That is the source of all your problems. There lies the root issue. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23, 23, it says, pride will ruin people. Pride will ruin people. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalt itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What does every in this scripture exclude? Nothing. It includes everything. You see, what does high and exalt mean? Equals to pride. Have you ever realized the common denominator in any relationship conflict most of the time? It's us. We are the issue. That's why we have issues in our relationships. Everything, el everything else is different about it, but you are the common denominator. Imagine if you have multiple relationship problems. It could be your colleagues at work. It could be your family members at home. It could be people at a church. You know, you're always, Alamak, that, that colleague of mine, oh, I tell you, it's so bad. You know, don't know. And you come to church, you're like, wow, my care group, I tell you, I don't like it. The people in church, I tell you, not, not friendly one, I tell you. You go back home, I want my parents like that one. Oh, yo, you don't want to help me, you don't want to support me. Uh, uh. Every time there is a problem, what is the common denominator? It is you. It is us. You are your worst enemy. The most common relational problem in our life is pride. Rick Warren says this, pride builds walls between people. Humility builds bridges. Think about that. Pride builds walls between people. Humility builds bridges. See, one of the sure manifestations of pride is stubbornness. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23 says, Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness has bad as worshipping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. My goodness. Saul, Saul was such a great king. Eh? Saul was chosen. He was chosen and he was chosen by God. But guess what? Pride 
sank into his attitude, sank into his lifestyle, into his mindset. And that's why God chose David, because David was humble. In everything that he did, David was humble. Today I'm going to share with you eight ways pride can disguise itself. Okay? As a kids' teacher, if I had my way today, I would have people acting this out. Okay? But unfortunately, I don't have the, the, the time or the energy or the space to do that. Alright? But just bear with me. Okay? First one, number one, manipulation. Okay? First way that pride can describe itself, manipulation. We're going to have this character called Depressed Michael. Okay? You ask Depressed Michael, Hey, what's the matter, Mike? Why do you look so down? Mike, uh, Mike, this is Mike replying. I, uh, things just don't go my way. La. I don't like the way the, the, the day turned out. And I just really don't like what God is doing in my life. People don't seem to care about too much about me, my world, my problems. Let's depress Mike. Always depressed one. Always down one. Huh? Silent Maggie. Another one. Hey, Maggie. Why are you so quiet? I don't know. That's all. I don't know. Then inside, uh, Maggie's thinking, please ask me more. Leh. I want to have your attention. I want people to notice me. I'm silent because I want to be heard. I want people to know about me, my problems, that I didn't get my way. Silent Maggie. I, <laughs> so I have an example. Unfortunately, I had to use my sister. Right? I mean, that's what preachers do, right? That's a template. It's either you use your family members, all right? if you're a pastor, you use his new dog. Okay? My sister, I'm going to use you today. Okay? What, what is the... Sometimes me and my sister... I'll be doing my thing, my laptop, I'm, I'm doing my, my work, or I'm, I'm playing game or whatever it is, and then suddenly, my sister, she'll look a bit off now, i say, hey, what's going on? Nothing. Oh, okay. I, I, I know already, because something one. That's why I ask, hey, what's wrong? Nothing. Oh, okay, can. Then suddenly, the door sound louder. The door closed louder. The, everything, the pot and the pan in the kitchen suddenly got more sound effect one. You know, then the door, bam. I'm like, I, I already asked her already, uh, what? And then later on, I had to dig. You know, then she was, oh, you know. And then she will explain this to me. You know, and sometimes some people, they'll be like that. You know, they'll be like, they need you to be, tell me. I, I, I need to be coaxed into sharing. You know, sometimes you tell them, hey, what's, what's the problem? Some people just don't feel comfortable. They're like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable sharing. That's fine. Maybe you're private. But there are some people who are like Maggie. Who are like, I need the attention. Ask me more. I'm saying I don't know so that you can come and probe me a bit more because I'm seeking that attention. Grouchy, John. Hey, why are you so angsty, John? I'm frustrated that things got in my way, and my goals and my plans. Everything and everyone seems to set me off all the time. Right? Some people you meet are very grouchy all the time, man. It's like forever there's this black cloud over their head one. Everything happened, also complain one. You know, I want to add here, sometimes people do have real issues of concern and they do need help. I'm not discrediting that. But what I'm using today are examples of common everyday life issues and people feeling sorry for themselves for no good reason. 
There are genuine issues. And I understand that, I recognize that. But sometimes we make a mountain out of a molehill. It's very simple. We can go past it. We can pray through it. We can share with somebody, get through it. But no, we want to just build it up. We want to amplify it. Number two, martyrs complex. Okay, I'm not going to go too much into it. It's basically pride in suffering. Y'all know about this. Poor me. Oh no, why always happen to me one? Martyrs complex. I'm the always the one. I always, my life always had that one. I'm always shortchanged. Martyrs complex. Okay, number three, aggressive action. Okay, aggressive action that is disguised. Okay, Has, uh, there is pride. Intimidation. You must always get it done your way. That means you get pride, right, in your performance. You know who reminds you of that? Mad action, Martha. Hey, Martha, you know Martha in the Bible. Take a break, slow down, catch a breath. Are you kidding? I'm the only one who gets all these things done. No one seems to care about me. How much is there so much? There's so much to do. Huh? At home, who's the one cleaning the house? Who's the one cooking? Uh, who's the one doing all this? Who's the one filling up all this report? Uh, who's the one doing all this? Who else? Nobody to support me. Right? It's all, always me by myself, one. And no one seems to say thank you. I can't stop, though, because it won't get done. I'm the only one that can humbly serve around here. Do you know someone like that? Number four, procrastination, which is basically subtle defiance. You just don't do it, lor. Later, lah. Later, lah. I don't wanna, I don't wanna. God tell you to do something. Nah, it's okay, lah. Later. Number five, drag your feet. Can you please get your project finished? I'll get to it soon. My plans come first. I'll do when I want to. I'm not lazy. I just have my own problems. Number six, suspicion. There's this character called Suspicion Sam. Hey Sam, why are you not at the meeting today? Um, yeah, I'm not sure whether they want my input, no. I saw a couple of guys talking after lunch. Eh. I think they were conspiring against me. I think uh, they don't like me one. Brother Bong, do you know some, someone like that, Brother Bong? There you go, shaking your head. Huh? This person uh, always think that we are talking about this person. Oh. Hey, why are they always talking about me? Whispering about me, must be talking about me. But actually, we're just talking about the Champions League final yesterday one, where Liverpool lost. You know? But nobody's talking, about, nobody's talking about him, but he's thinking, oh, they are talking about me. Confirm one, no? I must go in here. Suspicious Sam. Number seven, worried Wilma. Wilma, why are you so perplexed? I, uh, I have everything figured out, planned out for my family and my future. I know it's the best way. I planned it so that I'm in control. But then, uh, I'm also worried I'll lose control if something's unplanned. Number eight, timid. It's called overt shyness. Character called Timid Tom. Hey, Tom, why are you sitting by yourself? Tom says, I don't think people will like me one. Um... I'm afraid I'll get my feelings hurt again if I reach out to other people and build a relationship. I'm afraid they won't like me. Overt shyness, an excuse. All these are various forms of pride, disguise. Pride in English has two meanings. A spirit of conceit or superior worth, which is a negative quality. A spirit of pleasing satisfaction or proper self-worth, which is a positive quality. Pride in Greek means arrogant, proud, or appearing above others. Pride in the New Testament is nearly always used in the negative sense of being haughty, 
disdainful and proud. For example, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. That's what the Bible says. What is arrogance? Arrogance basically means believing that you are better, smarter, or more important than others. And the Bible warns us against it in Psalms chapter 5, verse 5. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all that do wrong. God does not like arrogance. The Bible says you cannot stand in God's presence in your arrogance. What is conceit? Conceit means having too much pride in your own worth or goodness. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to be associated with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Often, Satan injects pride into the believer's spirit, evoking in him an attitude of self-importance and self-conceit. He causes him to esteem himself a very outstanding person. There's this quote, sorry, I, I, I went into my uh, quote by Watchman Nee. He says, Often, Satan injects pride into the believer's spirit, evoking in him an attitude of self-importance and of self-conceit. He causes him to esteem himself a very outstanding person, one who is indispensable in God's work. Such a spirit constitutes one of the major reasons for the fall of believers. That's what Watchman Nee says. Conceit. So now today you are asking me, so Brother Peter, you're telling me all these things. What are the causes of pride? The acronym for this is SELF. All right? I start with the letter S. Selling out to the world's concept of success. Okay? That means achievement, accomplishments, recognition define my value in life. Affluence means power, wealth, things, status dictate my significance in life. Ability means my education, my skill sets, my talents and personality de determine how far I'll go in life. Psalms chapter 52 verse 7 says, See the man who will not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. Number two, E, elevating self-worth by attaining worldly goals. We know what that means? It means possessions. I am good has what I own. That means I need to have the biggest car, the biggest house, the biggest, I don't know, iPad, the biggest phone, everything big, the biggest paycheck, everything. I am good has what, has good has what I own. In the end, the one with the most toys wins. I just collect them. I want to show off. Popularity. I must be liked and respected by everyone I meet. And, and, and these people, right, with this, and, and we, we call it a, a PP problem. I know it sounds very wrong, okay? A PP problem. People problem. People pleaser problem. You're constantly wanting the affirmation and, 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 and the need for people to say, hey, you did a good job, eh? Oh, hey, you look good today, eh? Hey, what? That, that, that thing that you have very nice, eh? What? You dress very good, eh? You're constantly looking for the validation of people. Let me tell you something. It's okay to receive validation, but if you're constantly seeking, that means you're seeking popularity. Power. I have to know more, do more, be more. I must always be in control. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 31 to 32. So my people come pretending to be sincere, sit before you 
and they listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their hearts seek only after money. You are very entertaining to them like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. That's all. Number three, L, lifting the burden, guilt of sins through personal performance. It means self-righteousness. I need others to see me as a good person. Therefore, I can never be vulnerable or reveal my weaknesses. It means good works. I feel most valued huh, and significant when I do good things and help other people. Sometimes the motivations are not pure. I want to do good. I want to help others so that people will recognize me. That people will see that I am helpful. That people see that I am there all the time. Perfectionism. I must never fail or be seen as less than perfect. So I work hard and do whatever is necessary to never make mistakes. Romans chapter 10 Verse 3, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with Himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. And number four, finally, focusing on self. It means self-centered. Me, my, mine. I am more important than others. Everything, everything should do, everyone should do what I want and need. It means self-reliance. It means I can't depend on anyone else. If it's going to get done, I have to do it myself. I can't believe that person. I can't depend on that person. Totally unreliable. I have to do it myself. Only I can do it. Self-indulgence. I want it. I deserve it. I get it. In whatever way I can. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. For people will be lovers of self. I'm reading the Amplified Version. Lovers of self basically means narcissistic. Self-focused. Lovers of money. Impelled by greed boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. In all, there's this quote, it says, in all unbelief, there are two things. One is a good opinion of oneself, and the other is a bad opinion of God. When you have unbelief, it's just two things. One, you think too highly of yourself. And two, you think too lowly of God. That's what it is. So what is the cure? The cure is found on the, the very, very, very famous Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount with? He says, I'm going to tell you eight ways for you to be blessed. Okay? You'll be blessed if you do this. You'll be blessed if you do this. You'll be blessed if you do this. Over and over again, eight statements. Okay? And of course, we all know this has a B attitude. Right? And we keep seeing this word, bless, over and over again. So it begs the question, what in the world is a blessing? Right? And I think some of you think, oh, I know what is a blessing. But for some of you, you might not even know what a blessing is if it's right in your face, to be honest. The literal origin of the word blessing or bless is the Greek word, oh Lord, don't let me butcher this word, makarismos, okay? That's what the Greek word is, makarismos, okay? Makarismos is the poetic form of the word maka, okay? Which means happy in Greek, alright? To be blessed basically means to be happy. That's all it means. To be blessed means to be supremely happy. So Jesus, in his most famous sermon, he basically tells you, I want to tell you eight ways for you to be happy. That's what Jesus is saying. Guys, gather, gather. All of you gather, gather. 
Come, I've got one. I'm going to tell you how to be happy. He says, he says the way you think you're going to be happy is not all the ways that the world tells you. If there was anything more important than this, Jesus would have done it and he would have dealt with it. See, the first be attitude is the first healing choice for getting rid of your habits, your hurts, your hang-ups that mess up your life. What is the first thing? The first choice, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, the first be attitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, nobody gets into heaven with pride fully. That's what he's saying. It's all by grace, not of works, lest any man boast. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? I mean, we read, read this scripture all the time. We like to quote it all the time. So in UTB, when we share, you know, oh, we look, what, what, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? I want to know. First, circle or note the phrase in spirit. He's not talking about physical poverty. There is no blessing in being poor physically. He's not talking about physical poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty. It means recognizing my sinfulness, recognizing my helplessness, recognizing my hopelessness. I love God's words translation of this verse. It says, Blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually helpless. Wow. I don't know how many of you will come to church today acknowledging that you're spiritually helpless. That's the last thing that sometimes some of us want, want to do. Can you imagine coming to, to, to church and then telling your fellow brother or sister or pastor, Pastor, I'm spiritually helpless. Nah. Some of us prefer to be like, you know what? I'm good. I'm all together. I've got it all covered. Don't worry. It means I admit I need help. That I'm powerless to control my tendencies to do the wrong thing. And my life is unmanageable. I know this might sound very foreign to some of you. But that means poor in spirit. God says if you develop the attitude, admit that I am power, powerless, I need help, I can't control and manage everything in my life, I need God's help. He says then you'll be blessed. That is the first step in being blessed. But then how do I develop that attitude? It's not about... They don't call it an attitude for nothing. This is the first attitude you need to be. You need to be poor in spirit. So what do you mean? How do you develop the spirit of being poor in spirit? The Bible teaches us three ways to be poor in spirit. Number one, I must humbly accept the truth about me. Okay? What does it mean? It means I got to face the truth about me. I got to stop living in denial. That's why you call this a reality check. Okay, or reality choice. Okay? John chapter 8, verse 32 says, The truth shall set you free. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the movie, A Few Good Men. And there's this very famous scene. Jack Nicholson, he's up there. And, you know, he's being interrogated by Tom Cruise. Right? All of you know Tom Cruise. And he's asking Jack Nicholson, who is a superior, he's like, Did you or did you not do that? Did you make that decision? Did you get that, make that call? You know, and Jack Nicholson is saying, do you want the truth? That Tom Cruise is yelling at him, I want the truth! And you hear Jack Nicholson shouting back at him, you can handle the truth. That's why he's telling Tom Cruise, you can handle the truth. And some of us today, we can't handle the truth. It's very hard for us to bear. Be it so it comes from God, or be it so it comes from someone that is close to us. 
it's hard for us to handle. We can't handle the truth. See, you don't like the truth about you. You love the truth about everybody else, but you hate the truth about you. You can't handle it. We avoid it. We fake it. The problem is that it's painful, but we rather live phony, fake lives. You see, it feels a lot safer to not handle the truth about me because the truth sets me free. But first, it makes me miserable when I realize what needs changing in my life. I mean, nobody wants to be miserable purposely, right? I mean, I don't know, some people, maybe they like being in that state of being miserable, poor me. You know, like Eeyore, you know, we need to pull the cartoon. I last night, I watched the We Need the Pool. I always amused by Eeyore. Always, alright, okay. He's always, some cloud is over his head. He's so poor thing. He always want, I feel like he always wants people to pity him. Maybe some people enjoy that. But nobody wants to be miserable, right? But truth makes you miserable. And that's true. And that's why I humbly admit that I need help. And that's being honest. The good news is your habits, hurts and hang-ups can be healed. The bad news that it takes humility. You've got to humble yourself, swallow your pride. James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. What is grace? Grace is the power that you need to change. Let me be honest with you today. It's not going to happen by willpower. Some of us are convinced it's happening by willpower. Willpower doesn't work. How many, di- how many diets have you started? Jesus, is talking to me. How many exercise programs have you started? Uh, willpower does not work because you're tired. What you need is the grace of God. Grace is the power that you need to change. How do you get grace? You go to God. You ask Him for grace. And what does it mean though? Because you see, that means, right, you need to admit some facts about yourself. First thing you need to admit, oh, Jesus, help us. First thing you need to admit is that you're broken. First thing you need to admit is I'm broken. Wow. That, that is, how do I admit that? Because we spend our entire life to make sure that we are all together. We spend our entire life trying to act like we are all together. So to admit that we are broken, wow. See, we live in a broken world. In a fallen world, nothing works perfectly. The weather doesn't work perfectly. The economy doesn't work perfectly. Our relationships don't work perfectly. Marriages don't work perfectly. Everything is broken. Have you noticed your body doesn't work perfectly? I know mine doesn't. Even your DNA is broken. God never intended for you to be, there, to be deformities in the world. Physical deformities, emotional deformities, mental deformities. You know, one of the most famous things non-believers always say to us, wow, if God is so loving, why would He allow this to happen? Let me tell you something. God never meant for this to happen. Because God created a perfect environment for men to live in. But we made that choice. Mankind made that choice to, 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 to be disobedient, to be prideful, to be like God. And we fell into sin. See, God never meant for us to live in emotional and mental and, and physical deformities. But the truth of the matter is we live in a broken world and everything is broken. Let me tell you something. I, 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 I'm not here as a, 
a marriage counsellor or a marriage expert. But let me tell you something, you can't expect two broken people to get married and have a perfect marriage. Let me tell you that first. Because I've been through, I've, I've sat through counselling sessions in, in my field and I've seen people being counselled and I've seen people come in crying, people pouring out their issues and their problems and, and, and sometimes people get into marriage thinking that, oh, if I get married to this person, that person will fill the void that I have in my life. Or the, the, the insecurities that I struggle with, maybe that person can fulfill their insecurities, can help to cover up their insecurities. No. It ain't going to happen. It's going to be broken too because you can only work with what you got. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, creation is confused. It's frustrated. It's groaning. It's confused. Let me tell you something. More than ever, everyone is confused in the world right now. I'm telling you right now in the spirit, We've got confused attitudes. We've got confused attractions. We've got confused addic- uh, addictions. We've got, we are confused about everything in life. We've got people trying to be other people. We've got older people trying to be younger people. We've got younger people trying to be older people. We've got women trying to be a man. Men trying to be a woman. We've got races trying to be different races. I mean, have you caught some people trying to be, oh man, I wish I had that kind of hairstyle. I wish I had that kind of hair. Man, I wish I had that. I wish I was different. I wish I looked different. Our identities are confused. Why? Because we're in a broken world, people. You've been broken by nature and you've been broken by nurture. You've been broken by the sins you've done. You've been broken by the sins done to you. You've been broken by choices. You've been broken by circumstances. So it doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is we are all in the same boat. Nobody's perfect. I am broken. And it takes humility to admit that you're broken. See, this message is about healing choices. And if you want a true healing today, you have to come to a point or a place where you're like, you know what? That sounds like me. That sounds like I've got to change some certain things in my life. I'm telling you, when I was preparing this message, I'm telling you, this was convicting me, man. I, I was not preparing this message thinking to myself, I, I did not have a holier-than-thou attitude. I was like, this message is speaking to me right now. How am I going to share this word to the people? But, but guess what? God wants you to hear this message. You see, I need to admit to my secret or root issues that make me sick. David says in Psalms chapter 32, verse 5, when he held in his secret sin, he said, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. He said this when he had all these secrets. When he got sick. I want us to close our eyes right now. I just wanted to pray. 
I want, I want God today to reveal to you. Is there an area of your life that is broken, that you are refusing to acknowledge, that you are turning a blind eye to? Sometimes we can sit here and be in denial and say, no, that does not sound like me. But God wants you to acknowledge. You see, you can't get healed if you don't acknowledge that you need healing. Harabaya, and that means admitting you're broken today. Lord Jesus, I sit here, I stand here, Lord. Lord, I want to say, Lord, I am broken. There are areas in my life that need fixing and I can't do it on my own. Lord, I know that you are the great healer. I know that you are the great restorer. That Jesus, you've got the very best interest for me. And I know it may not seem like it all the time. And I know I have a hard time trusting you sometimes. Especially when I need to have control over my life and my circumstances. But Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus, today. Speak to me. Speak to your people in this audience. Speak to everyone who's watching this service on our live stream. I pray that you'll begin a lot to convict them. You'll begin to reveal to them a lot of things that they need to deal with, a Lord, Father, in the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, Lord, help us today, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. I pray, let every person under the sound of my voice, Lord, to be able to respond to your word, to your call today, Lord Father. Let no person leave, Lord Father, without having a revelation of what you want to do in their lives today, Lord Father. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Harabaya. You see, it's not so much what you eat, it's about what's eating you, what's eating away at you. If you're tired and frustrated all the time, you've got these problems, guess what? You need to look at what, is, what are you holding inside. What am I thinking? Or the other extreme, what am I exploding with or from? You see, my secrets make me sick. When I get them out, when I'm honest, I'm open and humble, and I get a whole lot better. I mean, that's why we go to the doctor, right? That's why we go to a physician, right? To recover, to, 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 to get better, and that's why the doctor gives you medication. He, tell, he, he prescribes, he gives you a diagnosis. Guess what? You've got this problem. You've got to fix it. And sometimes he gives you a medication. Sometimes he says, this is what you need to do. And that's what we need to do. We need to go to God. I say, Jesus, I need fixing. Can you diagnose me? 
Hiding never works. When you hide a sin, it increases. It gets worse in your life and not better. I think there's a quote here. I, I could be misquoting it. There are two things that are very hard to hide. One, a very big belly. And two, sin. Both very hard to hide. Okay? I don't want, you know, you're always thinking, I, I don't want anybody to know this. You know, it, it becomes a compulsion. And, and you've got to do it again and again and again. And the more you hide, the more it increases. You see, let me tell you something. If you hide a fear, it intensifies. And the fear gets worse, worse, worse. When you hide a hurt, a memory, it imprints it on your mind. And it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Hiding a hurt, sin, fear never works. It only intensifies in your life. I want to ask you a very important question today. What are you pretending isn't a problem? What is it? Here's another thing you need to be honest about. I must admit it to defeat it. I can't work on the sin in my life until I admit the sins in my life. I can't work on the hang-ups in my life until I admit the hang-ups. I can't work on the fears in my life until I admit the fears in my life. I must admit it to defeat it. You see, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, it says, You will never succeed in life. You want to be a success in life, you will never be a success in life if you try to hide your sins. God says that. God says when you try to hide your sin, you will never be a success in life. Because then you'll be fighting against God. We waste an enormous amount of energy hiding our hurts, our faults, our hang-ups. All that energy, just think about it. All that energy that you use, trying to hide everything, trying to conceal everything, trying to act like everything is all together, trying to pretend that you're somebody that you're not, trying to hide your weakness and your faults from other people. It is so draining. And that's why you're so tired all the time. That's why we always need to be, oh Lord Jesus, restore strength and virtue. For some of us, it, it's, it, these are problems that we can avoid. That's why virtue is being drained out of you because you spend so much time hiding. If you didn't have to hide anything, if you're open and authentic, you would have a whole lot of energy for good stuff. Truth be told, the problem is as old as men. In Genesis chapter 3, right in the Garden of Eden, guess what? When God caught Adam, what did Adam say? I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid, so I went and hide. Goes all the way back to the garden. Our impulse, the first reaction is, I'm afraid, I'm going to go and hide. You know why? The first fear, I want you to take note, is the fear of exposure that somebody's going to find out what I'm really like on the inside. I mean, that's why Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked. That's the way I feel. Vulnerable, naked. So I hide. People have been hiding and hurling ever since. We hide our own sins and we throw and expose everybody else's one. You know why we're so busy picking on other people's faults and sins? Because we don't want people to see ours. So the more time that we spend focusing on other people, the less time, the less spotlight is on ours. That's why we're always looking down on people. Like, why this person like that? Why that person like that? Why this person like that? Always. Constantly. If you read Matthew chapter 25 in the parable of the talents, the guy who had the talent says, I was afraid, so I hid the talent. 
I was afraid what the, the master would do to me, so I hid the talent. A lot of you are doing that. You know what's that called? Pride. I don't want anybody to know my weakness. It's fear. I'm scared to, do, to death of my weakness that keeps me from getting well, from getting healthy, from getting whole, from growing, from getting unstuck. Imagine uh, if you're okay, uh, and I'm okay, uh, then what's the point of Jesus dying on the cross? Just, can you just imagine Jesus on the cross with his, ends, his arms outstretched, hanging on the cross, blood coming down, and he's looking down. And if you're, if you're acting all together and you're perfect, then he's like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? If you're okay, why am I up here? You're not okay. I'm not okay, but guess what? That's okay. Because God's grace makes us okay. What's not okay, however, is your refusal to admit that you're not okay. We need each other. We need God's grace. I want to share a story here. <laughs> my mom and my sister like to clean the fridge all the time because I clearly don't do it, right? So um, they, they always like to clean out the fridge. Then sometimes, you know, you buy, you tap out some stuff and then sometimes you cannot finish it then you just leave it in the fridge. You're like, I'll eat it tomorrow. I'll, I'll eat it like later on. You know, I'm too full now. I don't want to eat it now. You know? So, you know, and, and they're always constantly taking out things they're throwing away. You son, no need, throw away. Throw it away. Especially my mom. I always tell, don't, don't throw it away. I'm going to eat it later. And she said, no, 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 no. Throw it away. I'll be like, what in the world? I just bought it like yesterday. I just bought it in the morning. No, 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 no. Just throw it away. You know? Now, I, I, and, and then I realized she keeps doing this thing, you know. Then I realized there's this very important thing that I learned uh, while she's throwing it out. I just thought about it. Stuff doesn't have to sting uh, to be rotten. Sometimes when you open the fridge, you can smell certain things. It's spoiled one. Especially mothers, you will know this one. You, you open the fridge, and you're like, oh, how long has it been in there? Throw it away. It's rotten. You know? But sometimes, right, stuff doesn't have to be stinking, right, to be rotten. You see, like for, for example, rotten potato, if you smell it, right, it's terrible. Rotten potato is absolutely terrible, the smell. Okay, it's uh, like you just feel like, oh, I want to puke right now. Like, that, that kind of smell. It's it's, it's really very bad. And it stinks to the high heavens. Okay? But guess what? Avocado doesn't. Avocado looks perfectly fine on the outside. You have to cut it open to find out that it's actually rotten. Some of us are like that. Sometimes it's very, often, very obvious. It's oh, this person not having a good time. Not in a good, good, good season of their life. Stinks, man. Oh, boy. And sometimes people just avoid certain people. They'll be like, oh, I don't want to be around that person. Stinking attitude. Ah, I don't want to know. Because it's very obvious. But some of us, like the avocado one, you've got to cut it inside. Then you find out, oh, it's actually rotten inside. The point is some of us think, I don't re need recovery because my rottenness doesn't sting. We think that just the smelly people need help. Just because your rottenness doesn't sting doesn't mean you're not rotten. That stuff in you, you don't like. And I'm not talking about what God doesn't like. I'm talking about stuff in your life that you don't like about you. You wish you could change it. You always do that. You wish you didn't do that. I, remember Paul? I wish I could. And, and, and remember the scripture I quoted earlier? And some of us are thinking, I wish uh, I could be more loving. Uh. 
I wish I could be more unselfish. I wish I, I didn't lose my temper so much. I wish I didn't have that compulsion behavior, that compulsive attitude. I wish I didn't have that fear of that and this. I wish I wasn't so insecure. The point is nobody's more broken than you and you are not any more broken than other people. We are all in the same boat, traveling in the same direction. You just got to admit it. Okay? Because Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says, My people have committed two sins. One, they have forsaken me, the spring of living waters. I'm the one who's got all the answers, God says, for your life. And two, they have dug their own broken wells, their own broken cisterns that can't hold water. Two things here. First, we fail to acknowledge God. And two, we try to come up with our own solutions. Not only do we reject God, we make up our own plan to fix ourselves. And it doesn't work. Isn't it amazing all the things that people try to do instead of trying to get God's help? I mean, think about it. Astrology, you know, crystals, reading your palm, fortune teller, 4D. Some people go resort to cults. You know, some, some of us really big on motivational seminars, you know, self-help. You know, and some people just believe this, the wackiest and the silliest of ideas. They literally would try anything except God. We build our own wells and the wells are cracked and they won't hold water. How are you going to flow with living water when your wells are cracked, people? How are we going to flow with living waters when our wells are cracked? We can't. You can't go on, you can go on a good diet that you know and everything you can do and you can't solve a spiritual problem with a physical substance. You can't solve spiritual brokenness with a physical substance. Whether it's a pill or a drug or alcohol or a television program or pornography or anything else for that matter. It's, it isn't going to relieve your pain ultimately. It might be a quick fix, but it's not going to fix you permanently. You cannot solve your spiritual problem with a physical substance. Number two, I need to humbly ask God for help. I admit, then I ask. I admit I need help, then I ask God for it. First you need to admit, first you need to realize you're broken, then you admit it, and now you need to ask God for help. I move from confession, I admit I need help, to petition. I need help, Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul was going through tough times and he said, We despair of life itself. I was so depressed. I was so discouraged. I was ready to give up on life. We saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. That's step one. Being poor in spirit, I didn't have the power to change. That's what Paul did. That's good. And why would it be good to admit my helplessness and powerlessness? Because when we put everything into the hands of God, God's got it covered. He's got your back. You know like Brother Bong, today he told me, huh? bro, I got your back. I really don't know whether he had my back or not. But I know that God's got my back. Alright? You don't know God is all that you need until God's all that you've got. Who alone could save us? For He can even raise the dead. You see, if God can raise a dead person, He can raise a dead marriage. He can, dead, he can raise a dead career. He can raise a dead dream. He can restore the love in your relationships. Anybody can bring good out of good, but God can bring good out of bad people. 
He specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. He is a God of miracles. You see, the verse says, we couldn't help ourselves and we put everything in the hands of God. Notice the word, everything. That means total surrender. It's not partial surrender. It's not like, oh no, my finances are in a mess. I think it's time to tithe. Time to give to the Lord. How? Oh, let me scan that quote, man. Yeah, let's do that now. You know, because I'm struggling financially, I need God to pour out His blessings. No, that's not partial surrender. Or, or, or my relationships are in a mess, so I'm going to give to God all my relationships. When I start realizing I cannot control people, when I start realizing that, oh, people are rubbing me the wrong way, or I'm rubbing people the wrong way, oh, you know what? I, I think I need God's help. God, help me. Uh, make this person listen to me. Please, Lord, make them be more submissive, more loving, more obedient to me. We start trying to look for God for help. Wrong reason sometimes or so. But guess what? We've got to put everything in God's hands. Have you ever come to a point in your life where you say, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stinking, the rotten, the happy, the sad, the ups, the downs, I put it all in your hands, God. All. I beg of you, don't wait until you hit rock bottom. Sometimes we are so stubborn that God has to lie us flat on our back to make us look up at Him. Wow, just think about that word picture. He's got to, like, we refuse to look up at Him, man. Eh? Refuse to. To the point that we have to be down. We literally have to be down and out to be able to look up and say, God, I need you. You see, there's an easy way and there's a hard way to do this. The easy way is to see the light. The hard way is to feel the heat. What do you want? Do you want to see the light today? Or do you want to feel the heat? The problem is rarely most of us change our fear until it's exceeded by pain. When the pain gets great, we go, okay, I think I got to change. Right? Some of us, we're like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm okay, I can't run. No worries, I, I, I got it, I got it. Until it comes to the point where you cannot walk anymore, they're like, okay, I got to see the doctor. People the whole time, they're telling you, hey bro, hey sister, you need to go and see the doctor, or hey, you need to go do something about this. Nah, nah, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Until it becomes to a point where you're like, okay, you know what? I ain't got it. No, no, I need help. When everything has to drop out in your life, you need to admit and ask God for help. I'm going to finally give you three points which might be the hardest step for many people. Number one, I must humbly accept whatever help that comes from other people. Number three, I must humbly accept whatever help that comes from other people. You see, sometimes, right, going to God is so much easier than going to somebody else that we know. Right? Because, especially Asians, I don't want my neighbor to know that I need help. You know the problem that you let to get rid of your life, that temptation, that defect, the fault, the fear, the worry, the loneliness? You're never going to get rid of it on your own. You're only going to get well when you're honest with others and others can be honest with you. Why do you need to do this? Because it humbles you and God grace, grace to the humble. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to 10. Two are better than one. He's talking about people, but they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. That's called recovery. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. God wired us in a way that we need each other. 
58 times in the New Testament, it uses the phrase, one another. 58 times, people. 58 times, love one another, care for one another, help one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, support one another, counsel one another. We are literally here to help each other out. That's why we have church. That's why we are here today. You were never meant to go through life as a lone ranger. You were never meant to go through it on your own. You were never meant to face your problems or your sins by yourself. You see, we have a longing for belonging. However, having said this, we need to be careful that we, be, we don't become too codependent on other people. Because relationship addiction can lead to codependency. Just a word of caution. Sometimes we go to the far extreme where we are so dependent on other people that people tend to let us down all the time. Oh, how could this person never do this to me? How could this person never help me, never uh, send message to me, never buy, help me buy this, help me do this? Codependency. Okay? But if you don't have anybody in your life, you can be totally and brutally honest with you. That's not good because that's not healthy. Oh, I, tell you, I hate it when pastor comes and tell me the truth, man. I really, pastor always can come and tell me, and I don't look forward to that. I love it when pastor like, oh, joke, 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 suddenly boom. It suddenly becomes serious. You know what, you need to, I was like, oh, okay, Ken. Okay, pastor, Ken. No, you know, that, that's, that's, the, that's the tone. Okay, pastor, Ken. You know, because we, we just don't like it. And sometimes I need my, my, my fellow brothers to tell me, hey, bro, stop, you, got, you can't do that, bro. Bro, you need to change that about you. God wired us in a way that we can get well in healthy community. Did you know that the Bible says that when a guy is going through a tough time, he's so upset that he can't even believe in God, he still deserves to have friends. Even if you reach a point where you don't even believe God, God believes that you still deserve to have friends to help you and support you. Job chapter 6 verse 14. To the one in despair, basically somebody who's given up on his career, his marriage, his life, whatever, a, uh, a despairing person. Kindness should come from his friend, even if he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Wow. Like, wow. I mean, God loves us so much. Does it? That, that, that blows my mind. Eh? That God loves us so much that even when we don't acknowledge Him, right, He still wants us to be saved. He still wants us to be taken care of. Eh? Because God can be like, ah, you're on your own, too bad. You don't want to acknowledge me, right? That's fine. But God, C.S. Lewis says this, God is not proud. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to Him. And we do that all the time. The television is more important than God. My work is more important than God. You know, my, the stuff in my life, the social media, the activities, my social activities is more important than God. Constantly, we are trained in His ways. All these things are more important than you. But guess what? God still loves you. God still has got your back. God is saying, I put people on earth to help each other. Even when they are going through a tragedy, I don't believe that they should be alone. I want people to be around. He deserves friends who will be around Him. Guess what? Friends who are going to say, bro, we believe in you. You know, Brother Alvin, Brother Bong, you know, Brother Charles, whoever it is, we believe in you. I've got you. Don't worry about it. We believe in God for you. We're going to carry you through your faith. We believe in God. And, and that's what we did for Brother Cal. It's not easy to be in Brother Cal's position. And, 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 and a lot of us, nobody can 
understand what it means to be in his position. And nobody can truly say, oh, I, I feel you, I understand. So hard. You know, and sometimes it's so frustrating, when, especially when you're in a situation where people say, I understand how you feel. And all you think in your mind is, do you? Do you really understand how I feel? Because I don't think you do. But you can't say it loud, you see. But you think it in your mind. And that's why we have a community. Because when, even when you don't understand what it feels like, we want to support one another. We want to help one another. And that's what we did for Brother Kel. That's real friendship. If all you do is to come to church on Sunday, you get a work, work once a week, that would mean it's like eating at a banquet once a week and fasting for the next six days. That's what you do. If you come to church one day, the rest of the week you don't care about God and His Word. That's like eating a banquet for one day, fast for the remaining. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. And you need to get the Word regularly and you need the company of people regularly. One of the most important verses for your health, holiness and hope. James chapter 5, verse 16. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Notice and circle the word healed. Admit, pray, each other, draw a line between them. If you want to be healed in your life, that's the key. Admit your faults to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Revealing your fault is the beginning of healing. It is based on this verse. Coming to a closure. See, sometimes the biggest obstacle to my breakthrough is to look good. I don't know how many of you can relate to that. I, I mean, I remember the first time I want to preach. That's the one thing I was worrying about. How, do I, how am I going to look? How am I going to sound? How am I going to... I, I was worried about my image. You know, what it would look... How bad it would look for me or what it would happen to me. I just kept thinking about this because I was... I was just concerned about myself, myself, myself. You want to look good to other people. You don't want to tell anybody else what's going on. But that's why we have people that we consider family. Because when we are with our family, we don't have to worry about how we look. I mean, let's be honest, at home we just dress up. We dress anyhow. We unglam also, we don't care. Right? Because we're in the comfort of our home. Because we don't expect... Uh, strangers or visitors to visit us, we are just comfortable. So we can be ourselves. And that's what family is about. And that's why we need people around us that are like family, that we can be our, we can be unglam about. And, and, and can be like, hey bro, I'm not, alt- bro, I'm not doing well, man. I'm having a hard time at my job, eh. Really, legit. I cannot meet my targets. I really cannot, man. I, I need you to pray for me, please. I'm not doing well in school. I don't know what's going on. Please help me. You want to you wanna help me? I, I, I study, teach me, whatever it is. You, you, I don't know. I, I'm not doing well in our... And, and some of you, maybe, I'm not doing well in my relationship. I don't know. We're struggling with our communication. You know, I'm struggling to understand each other. How, that's why couples go to each other. Husband and wife, they go to each other and they, they help each other, support one another. You don't have to pretend that you've got it all together. Finally, three fears that the Satan uses to keep you stuck. One, Fear of your own negative emotions. Two, fear of the re- reaction of others. And three, fear that honesty is useless. These are three points that, a sat- that Satan uses to keep you stuck in your ways. And the truth is God has promised to help us. I want to show this table. Uh, can I get the PowerPoint uh, people to flash out 
this table uh, right at the end. Spirit of pride and the heart of humility. Thank you very much. This is something I thought was really very good and I just really wanted to include this in our message before we come to a closing. These are the differences of a spirit of pride and a heart of humility. See, if you're prideful, you rarely admit your weaknesses. If you're humble, you readily admit your weaknesses. Number two, if you're prideful, you hold on to your personal rights. My right. I can do things my own way. I deserve this. But if you're humble, you yield your personal rights. And that's one of the things I always appreciate about some of, some of the people that I know in church. You know, uh, they're just so humble. They just get things done. They're not looking for credit. You know, they're, they're always the one st- stacking up the chair. They're the one running behind the scenes, cleaning the, the church, throwing away stuff. They're not looking for any kind of credit. They're so humble. They're like, I don't need any spotlight. I just want to do good. I just want to do right. I just want to serve God. You know? You're not about personal rights. I love that. That's a heart of humility. If you have a spirit of pride, you seek sweet, swift vindication. But if you're a heart of humility, you wait on God's vindication. You're not looking out for revenge. If you have a spirit of pride, you seek recognition and praise for yourself. But if you're humble, you let praise come only from others. Wow, son. I remember the first time uh, I preached, I remember people come up and tell me, hey, wow, Brother Peter, wow, very good message. Eh? And then I, uh, hey, no, 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 praise God, praise God. No, 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 praise God, praise God. But inside my mind, I'm like, oh, yes, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you. I think so too, you know. I'm being honest here, right? I'm like, hey, no, no, no. To God be all glory. You know, the, the, the politically correct answer, hey, to God be all glory. Hey, no, 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 no. And then I realized when, when, when nobody come after service, I preach, and then nobody come and say anything to me. I'm like, shucks. Did I preach a bad message? Mampos, Daila. Am I, was I right or not? You know, was I in the spirit, whatever it is? Let me tell you the most meaningful words that have come to me after a sermon. It's not about, hey, Brother Peter you preach a very good message today or you sound very good or you or whatever it is the most powerful words of encouragement that came to me I needed that word brother Peter that's all I needed to know because you know why I, I'm just a messenger that's when I realised I am just but a messenger because that word is not from me it's from God when someone tells me, Brother Peter, and they cry, and they're like, Brother Peter, I needed that word. I was struggling with something. You, you, you delivered that at the right time, at the right moment. Guess what? It's God. That's when I love it. Praise comes from others. You see, when you're prideful, you seek revenge when offended. But when you're humble, you refuse revenge when offended. When you're prideful, you seek worldly knowledge. But when you're humble, you seek God's wisdom. When you're prideful, you do not ask advice from others. When you're humble, you seek advice from others. When you're prideful, you continually compare yourself with others. If you're humble, you refuse useless comparisons. What is the point of comparing yourself? Tell me. Because we are always one day going to find somebody we're going to fall short of. We're always going to get a new phone that's going to be outdated. Right? That's why the software is out. There's always a new software, new device, and, and you, you may get the best car, or the best house, or be, whatever it is. But it's always going to be something that's better that's going to come along. There's someone who's always going to do better than you. So what is the point of comparing? Be happy where you are. Be content who you are. You, when, you're hum, when you're 
prideful, you think highly about yourself to achieve a good self-image. When you're humble, you think honestly about yourself with an accurate judgment. When you're prideful, you desire the approval of others. And I was sharing about that. And when you're humble, you desire the approval of God. Today, last time when I'm praying, when I'm preaching, I was like, oh man, I don't know what people think about my service. But you know, nowadays, when, I, when I'm praying for the sermon, I'm saying, God, what do you want me to say? Help me, Lord. Help me to deliver the word the way it's supposed to be. Because sometimes you're going to say something that's going to be very unpopular. But, it's, but that's what God wants you to hear. Then I'm going to do that. I don't want to be a people pleaser today. I want to deliver the message that God asked me to deliver today. When you're prideful, you find greatness through exercising power over others. When you're humble, you find greatness through serving others. You know, thank God, thank God, thank God for people like Brother Kieran and Brother Elvin, these people. Thank God for people who are behind the scenes, always serving others. I love that. I'm so grateful for people like this in the kingdom of God who just go around, just do things, get things done. They're just serving. What can I do? What can I put my hands to to make sure that everything goes according to plan? Finally, spirit of pride, you perceive humility as a weakness. But if you are humble, you perceive humility as a strength. Where do we stand? In closing, I'm going to read this scripture, Galatians chapter 6, verse 5. It says, For every person will have to bear with patience his own burden of faults and shortcomings for which he alone is responsible. Today, in closing, I want us, all I'm asking you is own up and take responsibility. That's all. That's what the Bible says. I'm not saying it. This is not, I know it's, it's KJV, it's not the PJV, Peter James Version. This is the King James Version. The Bible says you are responsible for your own actions, not me. I sometimes hear people say, if it wasn't for so-and-so, I would be happy, or I would have this, or I would have that. If such and such didn't happen, I would be in a much better place. It's not my fault because, guess what? Maybe there are some unique circumstances in your case where someone or something can be responsible for, for, for having a negative impact on, on certain portion of your life. I'm not discrediting that, please. I'm not, I don't want to make light of that. But I want you to let you know that today, there can be history if you allow it to be. If we're ever going to make a difference in this world as believers, we need to take responsibility to ourselves now. No matter the consequences, we can choose to accept responsibility for who we are, what we do, where we are going. Winston Churchill said this best, the price of greatness is responsibility. God bless us with the power to make our own choices. And today we have the choice to receive Him, to follow His Word, to love others, to forgive others, to forgive ourselves, to learn from our mistakes, to live for a greater purpose. Why don't we pray? The Lord Jesus, even... As we come to the close of this service, Lord, to the end of this service, Lord, I believe your word has been delivered, Lord. Your Rema word has gone forth today, Lord. And I believe your people have heard your word today. And I pray today, Lord, let your word 
settle in their hearts and their spirits today. Oh Lord, let it fall on good soil today, Lord Father. And today, if it's not, then I pray we make ready our hearts. They will be a good soil to receive the Word of God, to receive correction, to receive conviction, to receive change. Lord, help us be a better version, to be the best version of ourselves, Lord. Lord, help us, Lord. Help us. Teach us humility. Who better to teach us about humility than you, Lord? Because you, the God Almighty, the Creator, came down in a form of a man to die for His very own creation. Oh, Jesus. Lord, help us understand what it means to serve one another. What it means to love one another. Lord, I pray, help us, Lord, show love that sees past the sins and the weaknesses of others, Lord. Because the Word of God says, love covers a multitude of sin. And today, if some of us are struggling with being able to see past the faults of others, the sins of others, then Lord Jesus, help us. If you're struggling, why don't you raise up your hand today and say, Jesus, I need your help, Lord. If you're back at home, you're watching this on live stream, why don't you raise up and say, Jesus, I need your help. He's there at your home. He's there wherever you're watching this. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He is ever ready to help you in time of you in need. And all he wants, all He desires is for you to say, Jesus, Jesus, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. David said, Lord, I need you. I, I do not want to hide anymore. I don't want to hide like Adam. I don't want to hide like the servant who hid his talents. No, Jesus. I say, Lord, be unto me as you would please, Lord Father, today. Speak into our lives today. Speak into our situations today. Speak into our marriages today. Speak into our homes today, Lord Father. Speak into our works and our careers today, Lord. Speak into our school, our assignments and our exams today, Lord Father. Speak into our homes and our relationships and our friends, Lord Father. Speak into the lives of the people who are sick today, Lord Father. And I don't mean physically, but Lord, people who are emotionally sick today, mentally sick today. We need you, Lord. We plead the blood of Jesus. We claim your precious blood. We call upon your precious and powerful name right now over every area and every aspect of our life. I feel you in this place today, Jesus. I pray you will move among your people today. If you feel like praying for someone, go ahead. I'm 
I'm not going to stop you. If you feel, because guess what? It says we are here for one another. That's what the church is all about. We are here for one another. If you feel you want to pray for your brother, your sister, your family, your friends, reach out, touch them, pray the very best. Pray God has the very best for them. That's the best prayer that you can pray. That you not, not you have the best, but God will bless someone else with the very best. That God will give them all that they need. You know what's humility? It's, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Some of us have to come to the end of ourselves. Some of us have to come to the end of ourselves. I'm not sure who I'm talking to, but some of us have to come to the end of ourselves and say, Jesus, I gotta stop. I gotta stop doing things my own way, Lord. I gotta stop doing things my own way, Lord. I gotta stop saying it's my way or the highway. No. But Lord, today I wanna surrender. And and we talked about total surrender, not partial surrender, but total surrender. Today, Jesus, I wanna give up total surrender to you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I thank God for the body. I thank God for the church today. I thank God for my brothers and sisters. I pray that God will begin, and even as we confess, and even as we begin to surrender and say, God, I need, I pray, you put people in my life that I can trust. That you begin to bring people into my life that I will respect and value their opinion. That I will value and respect what they have to say to me. That I am able to receive truth, Lord. And I pray that you will begin to send people into the lives of our believers, the lives of the people who are watching and hearing, a lot of people who speak truth in love, people who look out for the best interests of our fellow brothers and sisters. Two is better than one. Two is better than one. I cannot do life alone. People, I'm reminding you, you cannot do life alone. I've got, I've got to get help. I've got to get community. I've got to get guidance. I've got to get healing. I've got to get help. I've got to get humble. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be your name, Lord. Lord Jesus, even as we come to the end of this service today, Lord, as I close 
this service, Lord, I just want to thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your rhema word. I needed this word today, Lord. We needed this word today, Lord. You always know what we need at the right time, right place, Lord. Father, we thank you for that. We want to give you the praise and the honor and the glory that you deserve. We are grateful for God today. Why don't we praise the Lord today? Why don't we just worship Him today? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're praying still, go ahead. Continue praying. I'm, I, I, you're dismissed. Thank you. Thank you for being patient. I know it's a long message, but thank you for bearing with me. In Jesus' name, amen.